Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Baltimore, we're talking with Archbishop Wilton Gregory of Atlanta. He is in Baltimore to speak at the Mid-Atlantic Congress, a conference for people in pastoral ministry. Archbishop Gregory was born in Chicago where he attended seminary and was ordained to the priesthood. He was ordained an auxiliary bishop of Chicago in December 1983. On February 10, 1994, he was installed as the seventh bishop of the Diocese of Belleville, Illinois, across the river from St. Louis, Missouri, where he served for the next 11 years. In December 2004, Pope John Paul II, now St. John Paul, appointed Bishop Gregory as the sixth archbishop of the Archdiocese of Atlanta, where he was installed on January 17, 2005. He has served as president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and he recently chaired a task force for the bishops on promoting peace in our communities. Welcome, Archbishop Gregory. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be with you. So what message do you have for the folks who are in pastoral ministry who are attending the Mid-Atlantic Congress? Well, my letter of invitation uh, and conversations with Archbishop Laurie asked me to focus on the the question and the the concerns of of the environment and the preciousness of uh, of life. Uh, the obviously the encyclical of Pope Francis, uh, Laudato Si, uh, is the backdrop of my mm-hmm. my talk. Uh, but I also want to uh, have a, an opportunity to to tie in some things that flow from the encyclical uh, with current issues that we here in the United States are, are uh, dealing with. Mm-hmm. And what, how, what can these pastoral ministers take away from that to bring back to their dioceses and parishes where they minister? Well, w- one of the things that I will share with them is the Archdiocese of Atlanta was very fortunate to be able to uh, partner with the University of Georgia, Athens, mm-hmm. to uh, prepare a pastoral response to Laudato Si, and it's it's an extensive collaborative venture that uh, hopefully uh, will serve the the local church of the Archdiocese of Atlanta and and uh, other dioceses that might choose to uh, glean from uh, from this project. Uh, it it provides a number of um, recommendations that people uh, at the parish level, at the diocesan level. Uh, and certainly at the the governmental level, uh, can adopt uh, as an appropriate response to Pope Francis's uh, challenge that we take better care of the environment in which we live, and that includes all of God's creatures Mm -hmm. in that environment. Yeah, that'd be great to to use that as a model then elsewhere, because there's Catholic universities everywhere that that you can partner with, especially that, that you can do that. I want to move on to a different topic. Last September, the committee that you, the task force that you chaired, uh, kind of sponsored or, or encouraged bishops around the country to have a, a national day of prayer for peace in our communities. 
Well, is that well received, and, and how do you judge whether that's a success? Well, I, I think, first of all, it was the result of the invitation that came from then President uh, of the USCCB President, Archbishop Joseph Kurtz, asking me and uh, a, a number of other bishops to, to constitute this uh, task force. And the first step that we recommended was that we would have a day in which the church in the United States uh, could pause and pray for uh, healing and peace and reconciliation, uh, especially in those communities that had known violence. Um, certainly the Archdiocese of Baltimore, the city of Baltimore, would have been one such place. But unfortunately, there were too many places throughout the country uh, where violence had erupted uh, often as a response to uh, overly aggressive policing uh, behavior and uh, confrontations uh, with law officials and African-American men, but also uh, the, the, the damage and the, the harm went the other way. Police officers were, were often, uh, too often, uh, victims of uh, random acts of violence and hatred. So th the, the task force thought that the best way for us to encourage our people to uh, be attentive and to respond would be to bring them to prayer. And we chose the feast of St. Peter Claver, uh, who is the patronal feast, a patronal uh, uh, saint for racial harmony and, and interracial justice. And that became the day that uh, we invited local churches throughout the country to pray uh, according to their own plans. Some had rosaries, some had masses. Uh, there were many different expressions of the prayer, but we, we, we invited people to, to pause and to, to turn to St. Peter Claver as a model of, of harmony. As St. Peter Claver is that model of harmony, I believe you had a, a, a real part in bringing the bishops, when they came here in November for their meeting, to not have mass as usual at the Basilica, which is America's first cathedral, but instead to go to St. Peter Claver in West Baltimore, the first church in the world named for St. Peter Claver, and celebrate mass there. Why was that important? Well. I felt, and, and certainly Archbishop Laurie was fully supportive of that, that it would be a sign of healing for the bishops of our nation who had been who were gathered in Baltimore for our annual November meeting uh, to come into a, a neighborhood that had been directly impacted by mm -hmm. by violence and to pray with those parishioners many of whom may have known some of those people who may have lost their lives or been involved in, in violent acts, and to pray with them and to assure them by our presence of our pastoral concern and solidarity with them. Archbishop Laurie and I uh, got on the phone and uh, worked together to, to make it happen, and, yeah. and both of us are very proud that it did happen and was so well received. Yeah, very much committed to that, I, I think, to make sure. And, and certainly that St. Peter Claver itself is just blocks from 
the epicenter of the unrest from after Freddie Gray's death. Yes. I think it was a real powerful statement for the arch for the bishops of the country to be there and to pray there. I, I you know, uh, Chris, a number of the bishops uh, after the mass during the next couple of days during our conference uh, came up and said uh, that they felt that this was a, a great gesture of solidarity and that's where the bishops should have been. If there was any church in Baltimore mm -hmm. where the bishops should have gathered uh, as a sign of our uh, concern and pastoral outreach, uh, St. Peter Claver was the place. Great, great. How do our listeners help with promoting peace in their own communities? Well, one of the things that the task force did, because we did have subsequent gatherings and, and conversations, was to uh, highlight the fact that in addition to prayer, uh, the bishops and the local uh, pastoral ministers uh, really ought to convene uh, listening sessions, opportunities for people uh, to hear one another out. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the bishops uh, very, very wisely said that the bishops have a unique capacity to convene people. If the bishop calls people together, usually there's a very positive response. And those listening sessions uh, and opportunities to, uh, to hear uh, may lay the foundation for ongoing uh, reconciliation. We had a number of people who served as advisors to the task force. Uh, many of them, Catholics and non-Catholics, clergy and, and laity, uh, uh, women religious, uh, who had long histories of serving in the African-American community. And uh, they, they too uh, recommended that we do something to bring our people together. Uh, and I, I lead with the issue of listening because Chris, uh, that while there are a lot of voices that speak, there are not enough ears and hearts that listen. That's true. That's true. Well, that's a good place for us to take a break. After the break, we'll talk some more with Archbishop Wilton Gregory of Atlanta about ways in which the Catholic Church is responding to the concerns in our cities and what we can do to help that. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Homeless Jesus has found a home in Baltimore. During Lent, a copy of the Homeless Jesus statue created by Canadian sculptor Timothy Schmaltz will be on display in schools and parishes throughout the Archdiocese of Baltimore. The Basilica of the National Shrine of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Baltimore will be the first to host a lightweight resin version of the statue through March 10th. The statue will then travel to Notre Dame Preparatory School in Towson, St. Francis Xavier Church in Hunt Valley, Archbishop Curley High School in Baltimore, St. Ignatius Church in Baltimore, and Immaculate Heart of Mary Church in Bainesville. Later this year, a bronze version of the artwork will be put on permanent display at St. Vincent de Paul Church in Baltimore, known for its outreach to the homeless. That gift was made possible by an anonymous donor. Inspired by the Gospel of Matthew, the statue consists of a full-size part 
park bench, showing the prone figure of Jesus huddled under a blanket and barefoot, crucifixion wounds still visible on his feet. Visit catholicreview.org for more information and a full display schedule. Pope Francis recently drew attention to the homeless, saying that people who don't give money to the homeless because they think it will be spent on alcohol and not food should ask themselves what guilty pleasures they are secretly spending money on. There are many excuses to justify why one doesn't lend a hand when asked by a person begging on the street, the Pope said in an interview published the day before the beginning of Lent. But giving something to someone in need is always right, and it should be done with respect and compassion because tossing money and not looking in their eyes is not a Christian way of behaving, he said. For more information, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is George Matasek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have the Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice a week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today, in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. We're back and we're talking with Archbishop Wilton Gregory of Atlanta, the Archbishop was chairman of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Task Force to promote peace in our communities. Last summer, you told our Sunday visitor, Newsweekly, that, quote, we are in a very, very fraught moment for the country in this nation's history, end quote. That was during the heat of the 2016 elections, after months of unrest and violence in a lot of our cities. Your own hometown of Chicago saw one of the highest murder rates in a century. Uh, what did you mean by a fraught moment? And is the situation better or worse since the elections? Well, <clears throat> I think that the the concern that I tried to express was not limited to the political climate, mm-hmm. which uh, which brought its own challenges, but it was a it was a concern that I think is still uh, present. We have lost, or at least we've set aside the ability to speak civilly to one another. That, uh, That's a tough one. The, the social media has provided a vehicle, uh, a very uh, welcome vehicle for communications, engaging people. Uh, but it has also uh, created almost a, an opportunity for faceless hostility to take place. Yeah. So people can say things uh, without owning the responsibility of uh, the, the harshness of their rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And, and that is damaging to a society. When people can hide behind uh, a, uh, an electronic message mm-hmm. and say 
awful things about other people mm-hmm. without the consequence of being responsible, uh, owning that that message. So it, we're still there. We we have to ratchet down our language, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't mean we don't speak the truth, which doesn't mean we don't tell people how we honestly feel. Right. But we begin certainly with the, the, the assumption that I'm speaking to another human being yes. who has dignity, who has uh, the capacity to, to hear and to listen. How do I get my message across? If I really want to say something, Chris, mm-hmm. that is hopefully transformative, how do I put it in a language that it's received by another, mm-hmm. but if my language and my the, my rhetoric is so violent and hostile and brutal and insulting, people won't listen. No. They can't hear. And if the if the listener uh, starts with a with closed ears and a closed heart and a closed heart, nothing's nothing I say is going to come in, whether it's said nicely or harshly. That's right. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. It's. Um, it, it is a moment that we as Americans, but it's not just America. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of uh, extraordinarily violent and brutal uh, language and, and dialogue uh, floods the floods the flood cyberspace. It's all over, mm-hmm. um, and it, it 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 almost validates the 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 violent actions if you can speak this way then you can almost it it almost justifies the next level of violence and hostility which is uh, attacks brutal attacks Mm -hmm. on people on communities on ethnic and religious groups uh, not just here in our our country but around the world if you if you're at defcon 5 all the time it's very easy to to, the next step the next step is physical violence Yeah, that's an important. So how does the Catholic Church and other communities of faith really help respond to this and to, to help our communities be more peaceful, be more <coughs> loving, be more open to the dignity of people? One of the things that the task force, and I, 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 I'm going to kind of con, confine my, my, or put my remarks in uh, this context. The task force was asked to look at the situation to gather together some people with experience and to make some recommendations to the Conference of Bishops to be uh, advanced in the various committees that the conference uh, has. One of those is to draft a new pastoral on racism. Uh, and that task is has been entrusted to the Committee on Intercultural Affairs mm-hmm. uh, because the, the last statement, the last Episcopal statement on brothers and sisters to us, uh, focused on the white-black chasm, which the new encyclic- uh, the new pastoral letter will also have to, mm-hmm. to do as well. But there are other people, there are other players now yeah, right. that have to be in, uh, taken into consideration, uh, our, our Muslim brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the great number of uh, of Hispanic immigrants 
who are terrified at this moment. Right. Right. Uh, people. There's uh, a lot of animosity there. Uh, animosity, fear. Uh, they they too have to be folded into this. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe we have to also focus on our young people. What do we want to say to young Catholic men and women as we hand over the, the work of evangelization and the church's future to them? Mm -hmm. um, th those factors have to be uh, in, in a new encyclical. Uh, we talked about recommending a, uh, an annual day of prayer, whether it be the Feast of Peter Claver or another appropriate moment, um, because this work has to go on. Mm -hmm. Archbishop Laurie, in our parish planning process here in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, has often talked about the fact that it's not a question of whether the church will be present in a community, but a question of how the yes. church will be present in a community. You've got worship displays, uh, places, you've got uh, schools and educational opportunities, you've got Catholic charities, Catholic health care is very much present. So those things all wrap into all of these things that you're talking about to try to make sure that this, this presence of the church in the community isn't just seen as mass on Sundays, but it's about what we do all week long. Is that the same thing that you've seen in other cities, especially as, as the work of the task force to talk to people? And <clears throat> Exactly. If I can be provincial, uh, a, there are two institutions that I'd like to highlight from the Archdiocese of Atlanta. And both of them uh, were established, um, one over 120 years ago, St. Joseph's Hospital by the Mercy Sisters, mm -hmm. at a time when Atlanta had so few Catholics that many people who came to St. Joseph's for health care and saw a sister had no idea what the sister, because it wasn't a part was of the environment. Yeah. But that hospital, and, and over the years, has been a beacon of hope and, and social outreach and medical uh, care that has now, it, it enjoys a wonderful uh, reputation in Atlanta. A similar situation is Our Lady Perpetual Help Cancer Home, started in the, in the 30s by the Hawthorne Dominicans, and they care for people who are dying from cancer or cancer-related problems with no charge. They, they have established such a wonderful presence that people who know nothing else about the Catholic Church know that if you go to Our Lady of Perpetual Help uh, Cancer Home, you will be treated with dignity, with care, and with graciousness. And the same would be true of the people who have used St. Joseph's. I bring those up because the work of evangelization, the church's face, has been so shaped by institutions like that, and I am sure that they are here in Baltimore and they are here in many other places across the nation where the face of the Catholic Church is the face of mercy and compassion. That's wonderful. We have about a minute left. Can you talk to me a little bit about your vocation to the priesthood and how that came about and, and how you've ended up here? <laughs> well, uh, I'm a native Chicagoan, as you well know, as you yourself 
uh, I, my parents enrolled me and my two sisters, I'm the oldest of three, uh, in a neighborhood school that was going through racial change in the late 50s. And they began accepting uh, African-American students. We entered as non-Catholics. And uh, I was graced to have the Adrian Dominican sisters who staffed the school, St. Carthage, and uh, the two priests who were assigned at St. Carthage Parish, uh, Monsignor John Hayes, Father Jerry Weber, Father Jerry actually baptized me. Uh, and then many years later after uh, he died at the age of 91, I had his funeral. Oh, wow. So I... I Quite a bookend. Uh, what a, but they were, they were models of faith and goodness and joy and... and uh, Thank God they were. Oh, they shaped me. And I tell people I still want to be like those two priests when I grow up. Ah, oh, that's so nice. That's so nice. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking with Archbishop Wilton Gregory of Atlanta, and we're grateful that you were in town for the Mid-Atlantic Congress and so grateful that you spent some time with us on Catholic Baltimore. Thank you, Chris. Thanks. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.